Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. The following is a 1500 ESPN Twin Cities production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down, then get a touchdown, rock em, suck em. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. Vikings improved to 3-0 and today, a 22-10, to almost at times, you would think, improbable victory over the Carolina Panthers. Zolgad and Matthew Collar joining you after, uh, after the Vikings victory. And let's get right to it. There's plenty of tentacles, Matthew, and storylines from this game and the Vikings staying perfect. But the overriding storyline is this. This is flat out probably, right now, the best defense in the National Football League, as you wrote at 1500ESPN.com. I, yes, and I'll agree with you, since I wrote it, that it is. It the, is your point, that, but yes. I don't, but I'm not going to, I mean, we could quibble at it a little bit with certain I, teams like Denver, but man, you'd be, you'd be stretching to criticize this defense. Marcus Mariota, Aaron Rodgers, Cam Newton in the first three weeks, and you come away, not only 3-0, and but with each one of those quarterbacks looking around trying to figure out what the heck just happened. Mm -hmm. And with Cam Newton today, this was maybe the most impressive. Aaron Rodgers had had some ups and downs over his last year or so or over his last 16 games, so maybe you could have said, well, you know, Rodgers has had some issues that he's going to have to resolve, so that played a role in it. Today, it was purely the Vikings' defense dominating. They sacked Cam Newton eight times, and – they lost 37 yards alone on Everson Griffin sacks. Cam Who, by the did. way, was puking on the sidelines yes. in the first half and had to go get IV in the locker room and was listed as questionable to return and came back and looked like he's headed straight to Canton. Yeah, he was an absolute beast today. There's no other way to put it. So he gets three sacks for losses of 37 yards and was just dominating Michael Orr the entire day, pressuring Cam Newton. And when you look over this entire defense – I mean, you find the two things or maybe three things that just scream elite defense tops in the league, and the one is just superstar talent. It starts with Linval Joseph in the middle, but 
Griffin being in the quarterback's face all three weeks so far, and then you go with Anthony Barr, who's a pro bowler, Harrison Smith, who is widely considered one of the best in the league. I mean, you've got star talent all over the place. You've got great coaching from Mike Zimmer, who has the defensive acumen as good as any coach in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And then you go with depth, too. I mean, they were able to fill in Trey Wayans when Xavier Rhodes was out, and then Rhodes comes back, and... Kelvin Benjamin has zero catches on one target today, which is mind-blowing. Yeah, four, four quarters of football, and I believe the first target and only target for Benjamin came late in the fourth quarter, and Marcus Sherrills, who came in for uh, for captain in the nickel defense, was the target. So, right. so the ball was thrown to Benjamin only against Marcus Sherrills, who the Vikings as good as he can be on punt returns, would prefer would never have to play defense. Yeah, right. And uh, that's the thing, too. So you've got this depth where Trey Wayans can come in and he has a tough night against the Packers, but he makes a play. And then he makes a play here again against Carolina. And that's a guy you're saying, well, we're not really sure we want him in too often. And then, to me, the defensive line depth and how Mike Zimmer uses every guy to his specific strengths. I saw, again, Tom Johnson in the face of a quarterback on a key passing situation. That's a guy who's kind of a bit player who comes in for 20 or 30 snaps a Got game. An interception. On, pass, on the play. It was a that's fat man interception yeah. is always classic. But they they're able to move around Robinson. So so sometimes he's in and he's uh he was lining up over the guard today and he lined up at times over the guard a, against Green Bay. I believe I think you're talking about cuz he does it a few times a game. I think you're talking about though. And this to me is the definition of why this defense is so tough to play against. Robinson's lined up over the guard in that supposed A gap that mm-hmm. we all love to talk about. So Cam Newton thinks he's good, he's showing blitz. It's and what's great about the play is not only does Robinson not blitz, he just sort of passively drops back. So if you're Newton, you're saying to yourself, "What the hell is he even doing?" It's not it's not as if he aggressively took a receiver or a tight end to cover. His only role was to basically play a dummy role to cause Newton to start to panic and say, "I have no idea what this guy's doing." Mm-hmm. And there it's seemed great. I mean, it's to fun be to watch. many times today where Cam Newton, you could call him coverage sacks, you could call them confusion sacks, whatever way you want to put it. Cam Newton over the last I would say year, two years, has really developed in understanding his offense. And I think it was a big deal last year for him winning the MVP that he put up his best stats ever, in part because the offense looked like it was entirely his, that he could make all the checks at the line, that he was getting to be great at reading defenses, and just rising to being the best quarterback in the NFL. And today, I mean, this just says a lot about Mike Zimmer, because you think about what more could teams come up with to throw at this guy and yet, Zimmer found a way. And then, uh, again, Daniil Hunter. I was going to say, he's another a guy. Another play. The sa- yeah, the safety sack, which started, to me, if there was one play today that took the momentum from being all Carolina, and because you said, these guys are in trouble, right? When Hunter made that sack, that completely shifted everything to me as far as, oh, they're in huge trouble to, hold on a second, they're only down by eight points at halftime. Yeah, I think there was that, and then I also think that it was when Newton's ankle got hurt. Which I think speaks a little bit to which was Joseph again. Yeah, it was Joseph, right? Who is a better pass rusher than I think he's probably given credit for? He's supposed to be like the big man who stuffs, but he—you watch on tape—he's always in the backfield too on passing plays. He's very—he is quietly because of where he plays turned himself into a Pro Bowl player, and he is a guy that the Giants, who the Vikings face a week from Monday, are going to rue allowing to walk away. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can we also so? Among the narratives we need to stop with now, I, I think, are this. Aaron Rodgers looked really bad. What's wrong with Rodgers? 
Cam Newton, man, that's a bad game. All right, folks, here's the key. And and I know in this town, seeing a defense this good is hard for us to process because we've seen <laughs> a lot of bad defenses. But listen, we need to start accepting these really good quarterbacks aren't bad, and they're not having bad games. This defense right now is just that good. Yeah, and Aaron Rodgers may have proven that today, and I think we'll see Cam Newton prove it over this season that he is still one of the best. But Aaron Rodgers, in a 34-27 to win over the Detroit Lions, he threw for four touchdowns today. I mean, so it's not that Aaron Rodgers. Now, there are some reasons over his last 16 games to wonder, but a few of those have come against the Pat or, or against the Vikings. Yeah. And the other night, he was at times running around in the backfield because he, there was so much pressure on him. I think that's where this entire defense comes from, though. I mean, that not only do you have great talent, but you also have situational talent where you know, they're obviously going to run. So here comes the the run personnel, and they're obviously going to pass. So here comes. You know, Hunter and Robinson at the same time where he's going to be rushing for wherever. And Johnson, who has proven that guards simply cannot stop him in the middle. And this is they're doing this, too, without Sharif Floyd, mm-hmm. who is an extremely talented player. I mean, it just speaks to how it's all coming together. You've got the defensive coach. You've got the talent put together. And then uh, you've just made life miserable for these great quarterbacks. I don't want to go too far with this, but the way I see it is pretty simple. We always talk about, in football, great offensive coaches, right? Bill Walsh, and he's got his system. And and what Bill Walsh did was he got he had a great system, but just as importantly, he knew the players that would fit in that system, and he then identified them, and they went out and got the personnel. So the system dovetailed to the players, and, and it worked great. To me, that's what this defense does right now. Mike Zimmer's defense is really, it's a really sound and really good system, but it wouldn't matter if he didn't have the right personnel and players, which is why we saw them in 2014, his first year, I think be pretty good. 2015, they took a step and you said, wow, they're really good. Mm -hmm. And now you say they are arguably, or they flat out are the best defense in the league because he now has the personnel to fit the system and it works perfectly. Yeah. And I think that there are a few players that are just perfect examples of this. And Hunter is one of them. I mean, that guy is such an athletic freak show that mm-hmm. uh, in pure passing situations, I mean, who could stop him in, in terms of being a left tackle because of his speed and how fast he gets off the line and the fact that they changed him to have him standing up quite a bit to rush the passer. But also, I think Captain Munderland is, is another part of this that really shows this is a guy who I would assume Mike Zimmer wanted to be a part of his defense and there's your guy who allows them to play nickel packages all the time mm-hmm. because of how well he could stop wide, uh, wide receivers in the slot and also maybe a, a better run stopper than people would expect from someone his size. And that's not a star player, but it's just one of those key cogs of this machine. Where it's a you tough can't position find to play, it. too. It is. It that definitely nickel is. position is, people think, oh, it's a corner. No, it's not a corner. I, I've always said... It's a specific position. It's a hybrid to me between it's half corner and, and linebacker, too. Mm-hmm. It's basically half and, and half. I think the Munderlin situation, though, is really intriguing to me because they signed him, I believe, as a free agent from the Panthers before 2014. And he came in and got in Zimmer's doghouse because he admitted that I had played in that Panther system for a long time. And when things didn't, when things didn't look right, I freelanced. Well, you can't do that. Because Mike's not going to sit there and say, oh, man, that was a great idea to freelance. He's going to say, what the bleep are you doing? <laughs> so so Captain went from basically being in the doghouse in 2014, and I think in 2015 said, okay, I can't come back and do that. I've got to know the system inside out. And now he's comfortable. So he's gone from a guy who certainly had the talent but didn't fulfill it to a guy who knows this system perfectly 
and and now has turned himself into a really nice player in this system. Yeah, and I, it's a it's a rare skill set, I think, is what you're getting at. And uh, it's just, a tough skill set to have. Was talking to someone from Pro Football Focus about the numbers on him and what they said, sort of inside just your usual. Because I mean, other than interceptions, I mean, what are you supposed to look at when you're trying to look at stats for a nickel corner, right? And they, but they look and break down every single play, and his run stopping ability allows them to take Chad Greenway off the field in a, a situation like a first down and ten, mm-hmm. where it could be a run, it could be a pass, and they don't feel like they're giving up anything. And that's the one thing that we didn't discuss a lot today so far. It was all about shutting down Cam Newton because he's a megastar. They didn't run the ball well either. Outside of Newton, I ran the numbers on this, they averaged 3.8 yards per carry outside of Newton. So if they were able to establish that running game, even if Newton struggled, they would have still been able to move the ball down the field, but they couldn't do that either. All right. Break down for me as best you can without having gone back to watch the film yet. Break down the offensive line because that first half to me. Now, now the Fox guys attempted, they, they did their damnedest to put this on Bradford. I watched that first half, Matthew. And I saw Bradford struggled because he got no protection whatsoever, had no time. The interesting dynamic to this entire conversation is is TJ Clemmings, who I actually think held up pretty well at left tackle, and I thought he might not. Uh, the guy by him, Alex Boone, highly paid free agent, gets hurt in the second quarter. He comes out. Jeremiah Searles, correct? Right. Is that the correct pronunciation? He comes in. Long story short, I thought the offensive line was horse bleep in the first half and actually acquitted itself. It wasn't fantastic, but it was certainly a big step above that in the second half. Yeah, it gave Bradford at least enough time to throw. And I think another part of it, too, was they went back a little bit to some of those, all right, are we going to have a five-step drop or seven-step drop? A few times, not every time, in the first half. And I just don't think at all with this offensive line you're going to get away with it. I think if you're trying to drop back Sam Bradford deep, I don't know if that fits best with his skill set, and I certainly know it doesn't fit with this offensive line. The The guy that I would be majorly concerned with, and I, of course I totally agree with you, second half much better than the first half, and you do have to ask a question about Alex Boone because one of the things that yes. a couple of different offensive linemen mentioned and Mike Zimmer mm-hmm. was communication is key to being a good offensive line. It's not just are you big and can stop that guy, but if you don't communicate, then you're going to end up giving up free shots at the quarterback. And I know that going back and watching the first two weeks on the offensive line, the communication with Boone specifically seemed to be somewhat of an issue. So he comes out and, you know, then they do perform better. I wouldn't say automatically that means he was the problem, but you do have to wonder about that communication element. Anyway, so when it comes to that offensive line, Andre Smith, I thought, was the major weak link. And you spend money on a guy, yes. and this is what you've gotten so far, and that's where communication, whatever, you're talking about one-on-one, man-on-man, mm-hmm. and he's just getting dominated. That's That problem has been there all three weeks. On the other side, I did think Clemmings played pretty well. In fact, I, I contend that if Khalil hadn't gone out that there was a very good chance, Matthew, that uh, that Andre Smith was going to be replaced straight up by either this game or next game by T.J. Clemmings, and because you watch him and it's just not there, and it's not as if, it's not as if you see things and you say, okay, you know what, in two weeks this will improve. It's just not there. Well, and that's the thing about T.J. Clemmings is I think a lot of people decided really early on last year because he did struggle last year that well he just can't play. 
But I think with offensive linemen, that's a development position, especially for a guy who played on one side for his entire career in college and now has to come to the pros where it's much, much harder to stop guys on a weekly basis and go to the other side. But I just think, you know, throughout just watching football and offensive linemen in general, it's one of the positions where many times a guy starts his career and is like, Ah, this guy looks pretty shaky. And then as he understands NFL football, Mm -hmm. also works his body to the point of facing other players of that level. Mm -hmm. I think that's and grows into it and understands the game better and understands the tricks that those guys use to get past you. You do see progression. So I wouldn't automatically say that Clemmings was going to be a weak link. And I think today, at least from my eye, he played a, a fairly decent game. And if I'm not mistaken, Clemmings uh, three years ago at Pitt was playing defensive line too, and right. then got yes. moved, and then he got moved at the end of his college career to the offensive line. And so I thought the difficult part of the ask for him was simply trying to take all of his his right-handed techniques and move them to left tackle. Now I know he spent training camp going back and forth, but I think there's a big difference between preseason games and or training camp practices. Right. But yeah, I mean he looked fine. The offensive line to me, don't get me wrong here. If I still if I have two concerns, because this team does look to be very good, so I don't mean to be a downer here, but if I have two concerns, they're very simple. Offensive line consistency and keeping Bradford upright because he really can't move that much. And Blair Walsh. I mean those those and that's not break <laughs> that's not breaking news. Yes, but I'm kicker. sorry. I'm sorry. When you can't count on an extra point to get converted, and, and as you pointed out too, when you have your head coach thinking to himself, I'm gonna go for two, not because I love going for two, but because I don't trust my kicker. You've gotten to the point where I think some decisions probably have to be made. When Mike Zimmer said that post game, I was stunned. I, I was stunned that he would actually say it. I think that's the level of frustration like, by now, don't you? Yeah, oh, I mean, definitely. That, that's just, uh, I've had it. I'm not going to sugarcoat this BS anymore. You spend a Tuesday preparing for Sunday with Cam Newton and game planning. Yeah. You spend this whole day looking at this MVP, you're like, just driving yourself insane. How do we stop this guy? And then the kicker misses an extra point yes. on Sunday. Like, I worked so hard for this, and all you have to do is make an extra point. It's the it's essentially the automatic, right? And, and I realize that extra points are tougher, but the automatic, if if you're a football lifer like Zimmer is, the automatic is I got to be able to trust the guy to go out there and make reasonable field goals and extra points. It sh- You shouldn't feel on rocky ground every time he goes out because then he's got two field goals after that, and each one we're like, uh, let's see what happens <laughs> here. Were. And if you look around the NFL, I mean, kicking, it used to be like, man, this guy hits 75%. He's good. Now the best kicker in the league's 90%. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you shouldn't be on a th- – extra point or a 30-yard field goal wondering if your guy's going to be able to put it through, which does make you wonder now, all right, what else? Are there other options or are you do have going to, be... to keep playing this game? Because that quote to me said, hey, Rick Spielman, I'm really not happy oh, with this. Did. I went for two because I didn't trust your guy. You can't. I'm sorry, but this team's good. You can't be sitting there right now if if you're the head coach and thinking to yourself, you know what? We've got a chance to really do something here. We've got a chance if, if the offensive line can can get it going, which has happened before, we've got a chance to make a deep playoff run. You can't be then second-guessing yourself and saying, yeah, but when we get to January, can I trust the kicker? Which is what you have to be saying. You have to be saying when I get to a key game again, in fact, he made – what was the kick today he made? Was it an extra point he finally made or a field goal attempt, I believe? Maybe it was at the 28-yarder. Where he rushed through. You could tell. Yeah, Blair yeah. Walsh wanted – I mean, part of the part of the art of kicking 
I've been told by people who do it, is this whole, it's like a golfer. You yeah, set, you you set it up, thing. you're patient. You never, you never think to yourself, huh, I wonder what happens when I miss this one. Walsh addressed that kick like, I got to get off the field. Now, he made it, so, so we're not going to talk about it. But that type of stuff has to worry you because, as you just said, this whole thing is an art. These guys are, nine, they, they are, they are magicians when it comes to kicks now. And you got a guy who looks like he is a senior in high school thinking to himself, I hope I don't get dumped. Okay, i got to make this kick. You know, <laughs> yeah. you can't have that. Yeah, like the uh, Colorado State kicker the other day or something. Where yeah. Lines up from 46. You're like, I think this one's too far. That's kind of how it's felt with yes. uh, Blair Walsh so far, like like with college kickers. And the, the other thing I think of with uh, Zimmer's comment is I know that if I were Marshawn Lynch, for example, I would never let it go that Pete Carroll didn't give me the ball at the end of the Super Bowl. And I know that if I was Mike Zimmer, I would never let it go that that guy cost me a playoff win. I mean, these coaches, it's all about you get one shot to go 11 and five, right? You don't know if you're ever going to do that again. Things can go wrong. Your quarterback, running back and left tackle can all get hurt at once. These guys know that you win a division and you've got a chance to beat the Seahawks here. Right. And you miss a 27-yard field goal and cost me that. And the other point, too, is this. And Zimmer has done a marvelous job of this, but it amazes me. Zimmer has done a great job of selling these these adults, these adult players, very well paid on the fact that no one believes in you. You all stink. Everyone thinks you stink. Now, nobody out there is saying they stink. But but to me, it speaks to what? It speaks to the the level of we really like this coach and we're going to buy in. Okay? So that if I get sold... But Blair Walsh is still your kicker. That's where I start to say, "Well, hold on a second here. I'm willing to buy into your crap here because it sounds good, <laughs> and 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 we're you know we're a tight knit group. But you can't then parade. It's it's the same reason why the Vikings had to go trade uh, for Bradford because you can't tell the team one thing and then say, "But Sean Hill, trust Sean Hill for 16 games. He's first of all he, he couldn't stay upright for 16 games. But to me, if you're going to go and and Zimmer does a good job of this, the whole thing of buy in." then you can't also be selling Blair Walsh for a extended period of time, I don't think. Yes, but how long do you give him? I mean, is this it? Is this the final straw I would have been looking PAT? after the first game. But yeah, man. after the first game where it looks like, well, his head just is screwed on backwards at this point. Something else you said, too, uh, just to, to rewind to where we were when they traded for Bradford, mm-hmm. the price was high. A lot of people said the price was high, and they were certainly right, giving up a first-round pick for a quarterback who you might only have for one season. Uh, even though he's under contract for two, you know, you don't know if you're going to trade him or if Bridgewater's coming back. Uncertainty in that situation. Well, this is why. I mean, you have this defense with this defensive coach, 100%. all these players in their primes yes. that are great players. And a game like today, you just needed a quarterback to not ruin everything. Here's a stat for you. Zero turnovers. Zero mm-hmm. from the quarterback position mm-hmm. for the Minnesota Vikings so far. I mean, that, that's that's incredible. How many yes. other teams? I doubt another team in the league has zero turnovers from their quarterback position after mm-hmm. the, after this mu- uh, this much time. And we uh, we talked after the Packers game last week about there were throws Bradford made, and the narrative was, could Bridgewater have made those throws? And I think the answer was probably no. But I'll tell you what, Teddy Bridgewater, I know for a fact that Bridgewater today, after that offensive performance in the first half, is not leading that comeback like Bradford did. What Bradford did impressed me because he had he's got a veteran presence about him where I thought he just stayed calm. And he's not a great quarterback, but he's a good one and he just stayed calm. I think Bridgewater, I think he would have tried to run for it more often. Uh the touchdown throw to uh to Kyle in the front corner of the end zone 
which I thought was a great throw, and in the last two weeks he's made two great touchdown passes to him. I don't think there's any way Bridgewater makes that type of throw because Rudolph was either going to break that pass up or catch that pass. It was not going to be picked off. So I think there are some intangibles that they're getting from Bradford now, which might not always stand out, but are going to be extremely important for an offense that simply needs to function. It doesn't need to be great. It needs to function at a level that can that can look at the defense and say, okay, we've given you enough, and you can win games for us. Yeah, the, well, the thing with uh, Bradford and Bridgewater and, and the comparisons, I mean, clearly there's the arm strength that Sam Bradford has a stronger arm. I wouldn't say, though, that I feel less good about where Bridgewater was going. I mean, through preseason and through training camp, it looked like the offense was going to change to have him do more of the things that Bradford has done, gotten the ball out quicker, throw a lot of those intermediate routes, and he was very accurate last year. And I do wonder if he had gotten the chance to be the centerpiece of an offense as opposed to Adrian Peterson if he would have taken the next step that everyone was looking for. I don't think that deep ball was ever going to be fantastic, but I do think he could lead an effective offense and be a good quarterback, which eventually may put them in an awkward position of – Teddy, we love you. You're the guy. You're our franchise court. But he threw for. But you're going 4, to the 49ers. Enjoy, enjoy <laughs> yes, San Francisco. Because right. we're paying Bradford a lot and we really like him. And Bradford's 27. I mean, yeah, that's my. He could be the quarterback for a decade. But if, my if point he's is good. My point is Bradford today. What I liked about him in the second half of this game was he looks like a guy who has been through adversity and he's been on some bad teams. But he understands how to process it completely, which is I don't need to be a star here. I don't I don't need to try and score 21 points on one drive. But what I need to do is X, Y, and Z. And I thought that that, that to me is incredibly impressive because the quarterback play that we've certainly seen in this town uh, post-Farve has been guys hyperventilating way too much. Mm-hmm. And I think Sam Bradford probably himself is like, what is this like that if I have a bad half, we could still win? You know, I mean, well, that's not something that he has had in his entire career. I mean, last year, Philadelphia, one of the worst defenses in the NFL, and he still has a, a halfway decent season. But Kyle Rudolph making that catch today in the end zone. It's a nice catch, too. It's a good throw, but it's a nice catch. It's nice on both ends. Yeah. He was one of the highest of the Eagles last year, one of the highest in the league in drop passes. I don't think he's going to have that this year, although Charles Johnson, again, a zero on the board and a drop pass where he was wide open down the sideline, a disappointing performance with Laquan Treadwell sitting for the game, which may make you scratch your head a little bit. But Stephon Diggs, not a huge day, but some big catches. Yes. And one of them, he ran a ridiculous route that started to blow up the internet a little bit. But Stephon Diggs, there's a reliable guy who catches the ball, and Rudolph is now a guy he could turn to. And I wonder if we'll even see Jarek McKinnon become a bigger part of the offense uh, from the backfield than he was today, only one catch. What is your read on Treadwell being uh... – Inactive. Now he was. He didn't catch a pass in the first two games and was basically a non-factor. I don't think he played a snap. Two plays in I the believe. first game. Is that right? Total in the two games. But is it now? Because Zimmer. Now the first guy he drafted or, or was involved with was Barr, who played immediately and is really good. Bridgewater was the second first-round pick that year, and the plan was not to play him until Castle got hurt. But then Wayne's last year at Zimmer's, you know, favorite position in the whole wide world, cornerback, didn't play. I am I am loath to get too excited about Treadwell's status right now three games in. I don't know exactly how to read it yet because I do know that Laquan Treadwell has talent, especially where, that could be used in the red zone. I mean, if, if nothing else, because he's so big and his thing is going up and getting the ball. And I also know that Stephon Diggs sat. 
for a couple of games last year. Now there's a big difference between a first round and a fifth round pick, but he mentioned specifically while Stefan Diggs wasn't ready to go last year in the first couple games. And then he really exploded and became a very good wide receiver. So I wouldn't put it completely aside yet. I think the worry is how much he understands the offense because Zimmer is just pounding away all the time at guys who buy in guys who are smart players and okay, this guy is physically talented. There's no question. It's not like they don't believe he could go up and get the ball. It's got to be how he understands the offense because to me, there's certainly a position there. Adam Thielen is a nice player for a catch or two a game that make a difference on third down. Made a hell of a catch today. He definitely did. Wow. And then... But but that's all you get from him, really, right. which is valuable. You know, if he gets forty catches in a year, and there, you know, thirty of them are important, and then good. But Treadwell has a skill set that screams. I mean, this guy could be a star in the league, or at least a really good number two. And Johnson has done nothing. So if he still can't get in, you have to wonder: is it the understanding of the offense? Because I can't think of what else it would really be. Big difference, though, between uh, Cordero Patterson, who has proven time and time again that his ability to process the offense and run routes is uh, is very small, either because he doesn't care enough or doesn't get it, and being a rookie now and basically the coaching staff saying, okay, this is going to take some time. If it's the Patterson thing, then the gloves are off and it's a problem. If it's a processing thing of, hey, eight games in, it's going to start to click, it's fine. Yeah, I would put it under the category of just too soon to tell, too early to call. I mean, I don't think if you draft a guy in the first round that you give up on him because he doesn't really truly understand the offense after three weeks, right? I mean, you're going oh, to try. Oh, you don't even come yeah, close. You're, right, you're going to try and, and work is, with this guy. I'm not concerned because because my guess is this coaching staff is is more of the mindset to bring guys along. And, mm-hmm. hey, if Charles Johnson knows the route tree right now and you sort of know it, I'd play Charles Johnson. But in three weeks, six weeks, it could be completely different. I also think if a player's not ready and you force him in, what what do you end up with? When you're on a team that is ready to win right now and be a potential Super Bowl contender, thinking about the playoffs and you make this big trade, if you have a guy that doesn't truly get it and you put the amount of pressure on him that you say you have to be one of the big important parts of this offense— yeah. I mean, the rest of the team is going to eat that guy up if he doesn't know what he's doing, and, and he's going to frustrate you too, right? And he might cost you a play here or there. Which which goes back to our entire conversation about Blair Walsh, because you can't yes, you can't right. have guys on this roster. It's, hey, listen, if we want to develop you and we think that you might cost us a game, then you sit for now, and eventually you might play. But then I can't go back in the locker room and say, yeah, but the kicker, you know, he he's going to miss sometimes. Right, yeah, and I think, I mean, that's where it comes to the winning team and how their mentality changes when you're a winning team. If you're the Minnesota twins and you play whomever from Rochester, because whatever, we're going to lose a hundred games. Why'd then you have to bring up the twins. Uh, sorry. Why do you have to do this? We're I in just, a three and old football. Team. I know it's just, an I mean, e- can't pick the wild an example. You're a hockey guy. Pick the wild from now on. At least I'm not example of how you can play guys who are, well, you know, this guy was a prospect. So throw, let's, let's get him some at bats or whatever. But when, Every game is so huge to a team that has great aspirations. Mm -hmm. If the guy isn't ready, you can't just sort of throw him into the fire. About to be joined by Ben Gessling here shortly from ESPN.com. He was actually in Carolina for the game. Uh, One more thing for you off this as well. Your thoughts about, and it's small, but he was actually pretty good. Cordero Patterson at Gunner for, I believe, the first time ever. And and I'll give him credit for this. He seemed to embrace it. 
It's a bad, it's not a fun job, but he seemed to embrace it. He may have found his thing. I mean, his thing has been special teams. I mean, kick returning, yeah, right? right? But yeah. this may really be something that brings some significant value every once in a while. It, it, just a play here or there that could swing a game because making the play at the end zone and then the key tackle there on the punt. I know it's not the role you expected for someone that you drafted <laughs> the first, the first round. Crushed you three picks I, from the Patriots, including I, Jamie Collins. I understand that. <laughs> But as I've said to you before, Judd, if we move past where he was picked, because, hey. Well, we have someone, to at this point, right? Diggs is drafted in the fifth round. Yeah. So, like, with wide receivers, who knows? And yeah. drafting them with that much value is probably a mistake. It just no comes. Back, I was going to say, it comes back to the Zolgad rule, which is please don't take running backs and wide receivers in the first round because you can find them. But as just a player on the team, yeah. made some big plays today in a position that he'd never done before, which in this specific game turned out to be valuable. Andy Carlson here for the Purple for the Win podcast, dedicated to the pain and pleasure that is the Minnesota Vikings and baby. 1500 ESPN has seen it fit to bring us into the sphere this year, so we'll be doing three shows a week, talking Vikings, have a car wash of fantastic guests, talk at length about the backup tight end situation. And remember, everyone's middle name is Jerome. It's going to be a lot of fun or terrible. It'll be one of the two. Get it on the 1500 and Podcast One app or on iTunes or at purpleftw.com. Let's go. As promised, Ben Gessling, uh, ESPN.com, joins us now from Carolina where he covered the game. It's uh, Zolgad and Collar also on the Purple Podcast. All right, Ben, uh, let's start off with this one. Your thoughts on the Vikings offense and not just the horrific first half and improved second half today. But your thoughts on the first uh, game plan that you saw in quite a while where Adrian Peterson didn't have to be factored into it? Well, you know, I, it was pretty obvious that they still have some adjustments to make, I think. It was, I, you know, I thought they tried to do some different things. You know, they, they tried to uh, you know, run a little bit of the same stuff early. I mean, they had Sam Bradford under center early, and that clearly didn't work, and then went to more of the shotgun stuff, and, and it just – the, the running game, and Mike Zimmer said after the game that he thought the running game was was better, and I think there were some moments where it it was functional. But over the course of the day, I think they still averaged under three yards a carry. And it'll be interesting to go back and look once we have a better sense of the yards before and yards after contact numbers to see if that was any better today. I did not necessarily feel like it was a whole lot better. I mean, I, I thought some of the outside runs were were probably more effective. I, I thought they did more of that than they have in the, in the first two games, but uh, they have to get something going offensively. I mean, as well as the defense played, and I'm, I'm sure we'll spend plenty of time talking about that, it was it was a very, very impressive performance in the defense. You need more from this offense. This is not necessarily a sustainable formula to go and count on this defense to be able to, to number one, hold people down every week, and number two, be able to produce points of its own. So, and they did some nice things in the second half. I thought Sam Bradford played better, but the the whole thing I, I think still is uh, is going through some adjustments here. I thought there was a, a little more effectiveness in the running game early, and then uh, at the end of the game when they're trying to protect that lead, then Jarek McKinnon didn't get a whole lot. So he ends up with 2.8 yards per carry, but he had a little more explosiveness to him than that. But only one catch for two yards, Ben. That was uh, something that I was interested in watching today was, would they use this guy, Jarek McKinnon, who has a different skill set from Adrian Peterson differently than they had used Adrian Peterson in the first couple of games? And at least for today, the answer was no. Did that surprise you? A little, yeah. I mean, I thought both 
Jarek McKinnon and Matt Asiata would be more involved as pass catchers. And, and some of that, I think, was the circumstance of the game. I mean, they, they weren't on the field very much in the first half, and then all of a sudden, I mean, they, they, I think they had the ball for like, uh, it was less than 10 minutes in the first half, and then all of a sudden, early second half, you've got the lead. So, I mean, that changes the game plan a little bit, and then all of a sudden you're not really uh, trying to throw the ball quite as much. I mean, it was an odd game from that sense, and, and we'll probably have a better sense in a week or, or two um, how it's all going to work without Adrian Peterson, and I'm sure that's what you'll hear Norv Turner say on Thursday is that, I guess it will maybe even be Friday that he talks this week, that the game flow was such that they couldn't really get into a good groove. And Mike Zimmer even said it after the game that he told the offense at halftime. He said, I asked them nicely, uh, or I said it in a nice way that we need to get some more first downs. And I, I doubt very much that uh, it was a nice way that Mike Zimmer said it at the time. I think that was a joke. But, uh, you know, the, the way the game played out, I thought, it was a little tough to, to see exactly how they're going to be able to, to live without Adrian Peterson. And I'll, I'll say this, too. They have to get to a point where they have more receivers they trust. I mean, Stephon Diggs had some had some catches today. Kyle Rudolph, I thought, had a very nice day. Became a, a solid weapon for Sam Bradford. Charles Johnson just has not been there. I mean, the, the catch that he dropped, I mean, the, the, the long play that he dropped, the touchdown, I think it was that he dropped, um, you know, it looks like he mistimed his jump, and yep. and uh, just you got to you got to make that catch. And I, I just think they have to get to a point where they have a few more weapons available to them if they want to uh, go where they they think they can. So, if that's the case, why, in your opinion, and, and we discussed this earlier as well in the podcast, Ben, but why, in your opinion, was Laquan Treadwell not active? Uh, for today's game, and in your mind, are we looking at are we looking at a disappointed coaching staff and the fact that he is not progressing quicker? Or are we looking at a coaching staff that basically, with some of its rookies, no matter where you were drafted, will say to itself, "Well, yeah, you're a high draft pick, but until we get you up to speed that we're comfortable with, i.e., Wayne's from last year, you're not going to play that much." Well, I think some of it is that I, I think they are. I think it's a staff that's not going to rush people into action, but I have heard. And we've all seen it, I mean, especially in training camp. There has been a little bit of feeling from people in the organization of this isn't quite where we were hoping he was going to be. I mean, it, this was not a guy that, that came in where you thought, okay, he's going to have to learn a lot of the football stuff. It's not going to be a lot of the kind of elementary stuff that you had with Cordell Patterson. And I don't know that that's it as much as just physically, I'm not sure if he's running quite right, I, I we didn't see him get a ton of separation in training camp and in the preseason. And, um, you know, a lot of drops obviously in, in training camp. And, and, uh, you know, so we've seen uh, from what we've seen of him, I think he's been underwhelming. I think it's probably fair to say that. And I, I don't think they were planning for him to be this much of a non-factor through three weeks. It will be very interesting to see, how quickly he gets on the field because, I mean, Charles Johnson right now is not providing what he looked like he could in the preseason. And if he continues to struggle, it is going to be interesting to see if they say, okay, we got to, we got to make a different move here at that split end spot. Ben, tell me this, I'm going to give you two choices and you can pick which one you believe it was from the second half. Did Sam Bradford just get the ball out quicker in the passing game, or did the offensive line play better? Is it A or B? I would say probably more of A. And I think all of it goes together. But I thought, I mean, that was the thing I thought right away in the second half. Is 
they just looked so much more in rhythm, uh, especially in that first drive in the second half, where Sam Bradford, you know, three-step drops, five-step drops, top of the drop, balls coming out. I mean, it was just much more crisp, much more of the type of stuff that Sam Bradford, I think, does well. I mean, Sam Bradford's not a guy that is going to be running around, improvising a lot. He's going to be at his best when the ball's coming out in rhythm, and I think that's part of where Kyle Rudolph helps out is that he's not a guy that you sit there and say, okay, he's got to have a lot of separation. He's got to have an obvious edge on the guy covering him to, to make a play. It's He's got a big enough catch radius. He's a big enough guy that if I put the ball in a tight spot when I'm trying to throw it in rhythm, that he's going to be able to make some catches. And I, I thought that was the biggest thing in the second half. It was Sam Bradford looking more comfortable. It was more uh, the timing stuff that they, that they ran really well last week. And, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of it was just them being able to do that and, uh, and make some throws to extend drives. And then all of a sudden you've got a lead and, and you can kind of, uh, let that defense go to work as it certainly did in very impressive fashion. And then, you know, you're not really in, in such a hurry to have to make plays when, uh, when the Panthers are bearing down on you quite as much. Boys, I don't, <clears throat> I don't want to uh, sound haughty here, but you might say in the second half, Gessling, you might say that they started to go more West Coast. And in the first half, they were intent on trying to throw downfield, which reminds me, let's see, first half, I, I compare that to Air Coriel. Second half, I would say, is much more uh, West Coast. I, it's weird how that's uh, morphed that way. Why, why, why are you, like, co-opting this as your thing? Because I said Pat Shermer's going to be calling play soon. Because I said Pat Shermer, when he, when he got hired, the day he got hired, I said this guy's going to be calling play soon. It's just... I, I guess we do have to give you one of your two pet narratives, giving, given the fact that <laughs> I love you. the other one is not available to you right now, that uh, Adrian Peterson's on IR. So I suppose we got a sports franchise to eat sometime. I, all I'm all I'm saying, guys, Matt, do you not agree? In the second half, it seemed to me they came out and said, okay, we could either keep dropping good, good old Sam back seven steps and eventually he's going to leave, leave here in an ambulance destined for the hospital, <laughs> or he can go three steps and Rudolph will be there and he can zip it to him and uh, it might work. Well, you know, I will say, Ben, that I was surprised that they would ever turn back to, you know, more of the seven-step drops type of thing. A- after the other night uh, w- against Green Bay, where it seemed that, they had to get the ball out really quick, and I and I read, I think Pro Football Focus had the stat, 2.4 seconds, that it was one of the fastest in the league for last week for him getting the ball out quickly, and my guess was, oh, well, they're just going to do that all the time because it's the only option with especially Andre Smith, uh, but the offensive line in general, the way that they're playing. Yeah, I I thought there would be more of that, too, and they've continued to try it with the, the seven-step stuff. I just I don't know that that is going to work with this group. I mean, you know, the 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 thing with North Turner offenses over the years, and it it kind of goes underreported or maybe underacknowledged or whatever it would have to be. When his offenses have been good, his quarterbacks don't take many sacks, and obviously with seven step drops, that's not completely on the quarterback. That's having a really good offensive line, and obviously in Dallas. That offensive line is is probably one of the best of all time that he had with those early teams in Dallas with Larry Allen and Eric Williams and Nate Newton and Mark Stepnowski and the fact that I can remember four of the names from guys that played 20 years ago on the offensive line tells you how stinking good they were. So there were a lot of years where Trey Aikman took 15 sacks. I mean, that stuff makes a big difference in this offense, and if you don't have it, it's it's hard to imagine we're going to see 
the true Norv Turner, Eric Coriel, open everything up downfield and then work off of things underneath kind of thing. It just it doesn't feel like that's going to happen unless they get better protection consistently, and I'm not sure that they're going to with this group. Hey, speaking of lots of sacks, Ben, uh, Cam Newton took eight today and uh, lost a ton of yardage. Everson Griffin was ridiculous today, despite the fact that he missed a little bit of time apparently throwing up. Well, uh, I guess they can use some syrup of Ipecac every week for him uh, if he's going to perform like that. But uh, when it comes to this defense, Judd and I were talking about this before we uh, got John here. I, I don't think it's a hot take or crazy to say that considering who they've played in the first three weeks, that these results are sustainable and that the Vikings should be considered at this moment the best defense in the NFL. Yeah, I wrote that this afternoon. They, If they're not the best, they are on a very, very, very short list. And uh, to the to the guy that, that tweeted at you this week and said we were being too negative when we were discussing <laughs> the franchise running back being out for the year, possibly, as if uh, such an event wouldn't warrant some level of perspective and acknowledgement that, that it's not a good thing for the franchise. Let's get it's it's time to get positive. Here you go. This defense right now, and I, I talked to Chad Greenway about it after the game. You guys remember that Sunday night game in 2013 when Jared Allen got caught on the sideline saying this is the worst defense I've ever been a part of. Yeah. I asked Chad Greenway about that after the game. I said, "Are you surprised at all how quickly it's turned?" And he's like. I'm, to be honest, a little surprised at all. You know, those of us who were on that defense, that some of us are still here. I mean, the fact that the things have changed that dramatically in two and a half years, I guess, going on three years. I mean, it's been incremental, but I mean, you now have a defense that has some holdovers from the Leslie Frazier era in Chad Greenway, in Brian Robinson, Everson Griffin, Xavier Rhodes for a year, Harrison Smith. Those guys, now that they're being used in a way that I think works a lot better for most of them, I mean, it it really is, it was impressive to watch today. I mean, to, to see Cam Newton, I mean, it, it was almost like, and the closest thing I could compare it to is what happened to him in the Super Bowl when he's getting hit and he doesn't have room to, to run around and extend plays and, and take advantage of the things that he can do with his feet. He just, he looked lost in the second half. It looked like he was affected by the pressure. I thought he started to, to make some throws because of that. I thought Terrence Newman's interception was because of that. And this pass rush right now, and and you're starting to, the other thing that comes to my mind, you're starting to see what they what they thought they had with Anthony Barr. When he's healthy and they can move him around and he becomes the factor that he is in pressure and making some of the plays he did and you know, a couple times he had to chase Cam Newton down. I mean, there is a lot they can do. And Linval Joseph bringing pressure, Brian Robinson getting things up the middle, Everson Griffin with the, the performance he had. Daniil Hunter, I mean, they just they have so many things and so many pieces in the front seven that it's really hard to take them out of a game if they're all healthy. And then on the back end, I mean, yeah, there were some issues. I mean, they had the, the, the touchdowns called back by penalty, and, and there were you know there probably a couple plays that you would like to see Trey Wayne's make it. But, you know, on the, on the ball in the end zone where he had a jump ball on Kelvin Benjamin, he comes down with a pick, and, and Terrence Newman makes a pick, and, and they, they were able to get through it without – Xavier Rhodes being completely healthy. So, yeah, right now this is, if not the best defense in the NFL, it's, it's in the, probably the top three, and that's taking into account the fact that two of the guys they took in the first round of 2013 aren't healthy or aren't on the field in the case of Sharif Floyd. So, yeah, yep. very, very impressive stuff. And, uh, that, to me, is why you sit there and say, even with the guys they're missing, 
they are going to be in every game and probably going to win more than the, more of them than not. Where Zimmer's uh, trust in his system to me is remarkable today was this. It was hot enough, and since Rhodes was coming back from the knee, he was, Ben, he was rotating guys. I yeah. mean, how, how many coaches have the cojones to say against Cam Newton, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to rotate my corners because ordinarily, if you've got a corner you trust, right, that guy comes yep. off the field if he's hurt, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And and if I'm not mistaken, at the end of the game, because of guys being banged up, you had Rhodes at one corner, Marcus Sherrill's in the nickel package because captain was out. And if I'm yep. not mistaken, on the far corner of my TV, I saw Mackenzie Alexander playing the left cornerback. That yep. is remarkable confidence that your system works. Well, and that that at that point is not just confidence in your personnel. I mean, the personnel certainly is very right. good. I mean, they, they've spent a lot of high picks getting these guys. You got, I mean, Everson Griffin was a fourth-round pick. Probably would have been higher if not for character issues. Linval Joseph, they spent money on. Demille Hunter, third-round pick. Um, Anthony Barr, first. Eric Kendricks, a second. You go back. Xavier Rhodes, a first. Trey Wayne's a first. Harrison Smith. Mackenzie Alexander, a second. So there's a lot of high picks there. But when you don't have those guys in the field, it's confidence in this scheme that if you play it the right way and everybody does their job, and we hear Mike Zimmer say this all the time, it's going to work. I mean, those the, the teams he had in Cincinnati weren't exactly known for all of these big stars and, and pro bowlers and, and big personalities and names that you knew, it was guys that, you know, uh, who was the biggest star on the defense? Geno Atkins? I mean, he's, he's not exactly a guy that has the, the profile of a Richard Sherman or J.J. Watt or anybody like that, but he, Zimmer has been able to continue to do this without having all of these guys that you know, and, and now that their personnel really is getting to a point where they have a lot of different guys that can trust and a lot of different playmakers, it, it takes it to a different level. But I think the base of it, Zimmer's confidence is in the scheme. I think he, he feels like it's well-coached enough and well-planned enough that if people execute it correctly, you can get by without having all of your top guys out there because it it works. And I think that's – I mean, Mike Zimmer's a confident guy. There's no doubt about that. He's a confident guy in his ability to coach and, and his ability to game plan and and you see why, because he's done it for a long time with a lot of different guys, and and uh, the record certainly speaks for itself. The two questions for you, Ben. Uh, number one, how did you think Xavier Rhodes played coming back? And number two, how did Minnesota keep Kelvin Benjamin from getting anything? I mean, anything. Zero catches, and the only target that he got came late in the fourth quarter. I mean, that just, to me, was stunning. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Rhodes, I, I guess I didn't really notice him a lot, which is probably a good thing. I mean, he was in and out, but, uh, you know, I, I thought they did, obviously, to, to keep Kelvin Benjamin out of it as much as they did. You know, I, I think some of that probably comes down to the pressure. I think Cam Newton was having to look for, for shorter options down the field more than he would have liked because of how much pressure he was dealing with, and you saw a lot of Greg Olson. You saw a lot of Devin Funches or, or Devin Funches, as they kept uh, calling him in the press box, as if he's a uh, <laughs> you know like Hispanic uh, late inning reliever or something. I was going to say it sounds like he pitches um, for the Giants or something. Yeah, yeah. Like now, now warming up in the bullpen, Devin Funches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was. I thought that was probably part of it, but again, I mean, the, the play that Trey Wayne's made. To take that ball away from Benjamin, I, I thought was uh, as, as impressive of a play as we've seen him make, and 
to, to take that guy out of the game like that, I mean, it, it's it bodes well for. I mean, you're going to see a, a probably a better group of receivers next week with with Victor Cruz and, and Sterling Shepard and uh, of course Odell Beckham, and you'll probably need guys healthy for that. But um, it, to to be able to take those guys out of the game and, and to to do it after you know more or less doing it on a lot of the night with Jordy Nelson last week is certainly impressive and, and bodes well for uh, some of the, the teams that are going to play down the road. Last thing, sir. The thing that, guys, kept occurring to me during t- uh, today's game, going into halftime, it felt like the Vikings were down by 20, right? I mean, it felt it felt like, man, this is awful. And then you looked, and I think they're down by two. And Ben Matthew, the thing that kept occurring to me as someone who's watched this team for a long time is this is the type of game the Vikings never win. In fact, weeks one and three, I think, are typical Vikings games where they might try hard and they compete, and something happens where they either get blown out and or they don't win. And that is the biggest change in demeanor or feeling about this team was they really do have a chance. And you come away from from this game now, and I'm telling you, the feeling about the Vikings is changing for the first time in years and years and years because these are typically games, Ben, as you know, too. These are typically games that they never, ever won. They didn't. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the important thing there, and Mike Zimmer talked about it a little bit after the game, is that players now start to think these are the games that we win. I mean, that, that to me, more than just about anything with the Seahawks in the last few years, is that the games where you think they're out of it and they come storming back and more often than not they, they pull it out. I mean certainly in that NFC title game against the Packers that was the case and, and a lot of self inflicted errors by the Packers in that game. But that team has a belief that we are never out of a game and because of our defense we can make stops when we have to have them and, and we're not going to be in a situation where our back gets broken by a, a third down conversion or a busted coverage at least with a touchdown or whatever it would happen to be. There's a belief there that we are going to keep fighting it, and this team, this game is going to come back to us. So, I think, you know, as they get to that point, and, and Mike Zimmer talked about how excited they were after the game, he kind of had to remind them, you know, this this needs to become something that we're not so excited about. This needs to become the expectation that we're going to come in and win these games, and it's getting to a point where that's the case. And, and we talked earlier about 2013, back in that season when they lost five games, uh, blowing five leads in the last minute. I guess they lost four and tied the one in that awful, awful game at Lambeau Field. To to go from that to where they are now, I mean, some of it, like we were saying, is personnel, but some of it's also a belief that we are going to make a stop and, and we're going to be fine. And that year it was just like, okay, what's going to go wrong? When are we going to end up with some you know, back-breaking mistake? I can remember, you know, we joke about it a lot among the beat writers, but uh, that the game on Thursday night when they finally stopped the Redskins that year, when they made a late stop and they hadn't caused a they had, they hadn't uh, I, I think there was like six quarters in a row at home where they hadn't forced a punt and Leslie Frazier gets up to the podium after the game and got gets asked what did you say when you finally stopped them for a, for the first punt in six quarters at home and he goes I said hooray 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 <laughs> like Leslie. it was like this hey this is this great victory that we finally stopped them. And forced a punt, whereas Mike Zimmer would be, well, what did you think I was going to say? This this isn't good enough, and our defense is the one that gets off the field. This is not supposed to be something we celebrate. This is the expectation. So I think a lot of it 
stems from that, and I think as they keep winning these games, you'll see that confidence continue to build. And and this to me is the the biggest one. I mean, uh, of the three, they're all impressive. You play Sean Hill in a game, and you still win against Tennessee on the road to start the season. You beat. Uh, Aaron Rodgers in front of the sellout mega crowd and the fire breathing dragon ship and everything, all the pomp and circumstance that went along with it. And then, but, Skull. but yeah, with, but with this, Skull. stop Sorry. doing that. Sorry. But with, with this win, it, it, to me, it's just Cam Newton was showed last week that he's still Cam Newton. He's still a mega star in the league that they're the favorites to go back to the Super Bowl, and you just shut him down. Now it's, well, if we could beat Aaron Rodgers and Cam Newton in back-to-back weeks, who can't we beat in in this league? So, And also, just from a big-picture standpoint, three wins now. You look forward at this schedule. The Giants will be tough on Monday Night Football next week, and I'm not saying that every game isn't tough, but it loosens up a little bit from Aaron Rodgers and Cam Newton on back-to-back weeks. And then and then Eli Manning, too. You get some teams in there that you feel like you should definitely go in and beat, and you've set yourself up. Ben and I talked about this on, on the Wednesday version, that you've set yourself up with a win here to feel like you're in the driver's seat to win the division or more. Yeah, I mean, what were we all saying before the, the season? We said if they came through these games, these first three games, two and one, if they split them, that they'd be in great shape, and and here they've got two wins. And to me, what they did today defensively, this is the most impressive of the three. Is it not? I mean, between and Tennessee, I don't think is in the conversation, but between this and the Packers, I, I thought this was the more impressive one of the two of those two. What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. Definitely. You you go on the road, you look that bad offensively. That's a big that part of it for a half, road. and you win. And going away, that's impressive. Yeah, and Rodgers had had his struggles at home since November of 2014. Either exactly, <laughs> that's amazing. Exactly, and and Rodgers had had his struggles, and maybe some people were saying, "Oh, what's wrong with him?" And of course, today he goes out and smokes the Lions for four touchdowns. But with Newton, I mean, this guy just put up 46 points last week. Yeah, I mean, it it, it was. I thought it was a statement type game. I mean, this is the type of game that it's going to lead a lot of the highlight shows, obviously, and the type of performance where you you stand up and say, okay, America, it's time to take notice of what's going on here. And uh, America will get to see them once again uh, next Monday night on ESPN's Monday Night Football. And Zim's going to tell them, as you know, all week long, America thinks you guys suck. America thinks well, you said, guys he can't be. He said nobody picked us and nobody I know believed, he did. In it's... believed in ourselves. Hey, listen, if they buy into it, go. God bless Zim. He's selling it. They're buying into it. Zim deserves credit. Thank you, Ben Gessling. Appreciate it. All right, guys. We'll talk, talk to you, to you later soon. this week. All right. That's Ben Gessling, Matthew Collar, and Zolgad on the Purple Podcast. We do these after every Vikings games. Keep in mind, Matthew and Ben do the Wednesday Purple Podcast. I'm sure they'll be breaking down the game coming up against the Giants a week from Monday, which also will include plenty of talk, I'm sure, positive about the defense, Matthew, and I'm sure you'll also include some talk about the kicking game, the offensive line, and other things that, as much as the fan base might not want to hear about them, the media, and more importantly, the Vikings have to address them. I'm not used to this sort of thing, you know. Coming the success. From, well, don't from, hold uh, on, hold on. Just let's pump the brakes because you're coming from Buffalo. But even a locker room that feels confident and has won some st- stuff, big games, right. it's uh, going to be a little. I don't know if I'll don't get arrogant. be able to adjust. Don't get arrogant. Don't get cocky, and just embrace the fact that Zim tells you the team's terrible. Okay, <laughs> if, even though we all said, if, "Hey, you know, I think they're probably still a playoff team." Embrace what Zim is selling because it's working right now. That's a Purple Podcast. We'll put a wrap on it. Uh, As I said, another one will be out on Wednesday with Matthew Collar and Ben Gessling. Thanks for listening.